Hi, and welcome to 10 Minute Treadmill Stories. Hey, I'm Stacy. I'm Jonah. You can always reach us at stacyandjonah at gmail.com if you have a story you think we should hear. Today, Stacy, I want to tell you all about the 10,000 plus women code breakers of World War II who helped win the war and, as we've been talking about recently, surprise, surprise, have not received any credit for it until recently. First of all, that sounds awesome. Second of all, there were over 10,000. Like, I've heard of the code breakers, but I pictured like five. (laughs) It was a monumental effort. They were told they'd be shot and killed if they told anyone what they were doing. And their admissions interview only had two questions. Do you enjoy crossword puzzles? And are you engaged to be married? That and an aptitude for math and language was all it took to send, yes, over 10,000 women to Washington, D.C. to work secretly as codebreakers during World War II. The work of these women deciphering codes helped destroy enemy supply ships, helped coordinate the invasion of Normandy, and even one American woman codebreaker was the first American to learn of the end of World War II after she intercepted a Japanese message to Switzerland. At one point, the Codebreaker's information on the location of enemy ships came faster than the Navy could keep up with. They were so good at supplying the information, and the following is their story. Military intelligence, while always helpful, became paramount in World War II. There wasn't a CIA yet. The NSA was in its infancy, but the U.S. government knew that the more they knew about the enemy, the more likely they could get a victory. So the Pinpoint on intelligence was really strong in this war. They struggled, though, to recruit men for these positions because they were often viewed as glamorless, lowly, and compared to secretarial work. You know, busy work for the gals. Right. For the broads at that time. (laughs) (laughs) Gals were exactly who the Navy targeted next, specifically gals with a high aptitude in math and language. And subsequently, a majority of these women were either teachers or on the path to become teachers. In fact, one codebreaker, Genevieve Grochen, I hope I'm pronouncing her name correctly, graduated summa cum laude from her university and went on to miraculously break a Japanese cipher that had codebreakers stumped for months. But before she became a codebreaker, she couldn't find a job because no university would hire a woman professor. Hmm. Gross. So these women had a lot of brains and nowhere to use them. So it kind of was an untapped resource at this time in America. So the Navy's hiring strategy was pretty simple. They visited universities and towns and asked for the smartest ladies around. They then interviewed them with those two questions I mentioned earlier. Do you like crossword puzzles and are you engaged to be married? And from there, they took an entrance exam, and if they pass the entrance exam, hop on a bus, hop on a train, you're going to D.C. Newsflash, women aren't treated equally in the workforce, and it was certainly no more different in the 1940s military-industrial complex. The situation was even more complex because the women were sworn to secrecy. This was high-level military intelligence. They were told that if they shared their true mission with anybody, it would be considered treason. And the penalty for treason, especially in wartime, is death. Hmm. So because of this, a lot of women had to tell their family cover stories, like that they were only being secretaries, which led their parents to not only want their daughters to leave the state for such a position, but also it started rumors in Washington that these women 
were in fact prostitutes being brought in to service the military men in the area because what else would these truckloads of women be doing all of a sudden? They couldn't Nothing. possibly be working to help win the war. <laughs> no. Mm-mm. And initially, they weren't even allowed into the military, even though the Navy was hiring them. They were hiring them as civilians. And they weren't allowed to join the military until 1942, after President Roosevelt signed the Navy Women's Reserve Act, creating a new division called WAVES. Although, wait for it, they still received worse pay and benefits than their male counterparts, even though, as time went on, a lot of these women excelled and ended up outranking their military husbands, who they ended up with later in life. Hmm. So... This is a lot of background, but really what they were doing was just breaking codes left and right or working their asses off to break one code. So you were surprised at how many people they needed. And it was just because there was so much information. There were also these like giant kind of prehistoric computers. I don't know if you've heard of Enigma, but that was like this giant machine that helped break German codes in World War Two. I thought you meant the 90s band. In reading about these women, who, by the way, really weren't well-known up until a couple of years ago, and this happened back in the 40s, there seemed to be two major points of differentiation between women in the military and their male counterparts that I found pretty interesting. Uh, Number one, and this might be a stereotype, but it seems that women can just keep a secret better than men. A lot of these stories, as I've just mentioned, haven't been unearthed or shared until either the 90s or the 2000s. And this author, who just wrote a book on it last year, figured out that a lot of these women just, it boiled down to them keeping the secret too well. Like men had their stories told in part because eventually someone opened their mouths and shared what they did. But these women listened to the sworn to secrecy part so well that one woman didn't tell her family a single detail of what she had done until the 90s. And then Liza Mundy, the author of this book, who I'm referencing, the book is called Code Girls, said that even in the 2000s, she had to like continually assure these women who were now in their 80s and 90s that not only were they allowed to talk about it, but like the NSA has declassified this information. They would welcome you to share your story. And she had to like convince and convince them it was okay even 50, 60 years later. Are you good at keeping secrets? I'll never tell. (laughs) Secondly, uh, these women were in a unique position to humanize the enemy, which is something I had never thought about before. I did tell a story uh, months ago now of the one day in World War I, I believe it was on Christmas when both sides just kind of laid down their arms and met each other in no man's land. And that was like a uniquely humanizing event of that war and and something that had never really been seen before or since. This was a little bit different, but also very, very intimate because these code breakers were getting all kinds of radio transmissions, telegraph transmissions or, or whatever it was from the enemy. And it wasn't just military secrets. Some of it was like hey, Sergeant whoever on this German U-boat, your wife just had the baby. Baby and and wife are healthy. Congratulations. So one woman, Judy Parsons, said that they actually got to know the personalities of some of the German skippers on these U-boats because of those messages. And specifically, she recalled an example, as I just mentioned, of a man who learned he just had his first child. And then a week later, she intercepted a report that his specific U-boat was sunk. 
So even though that was an enemy ship being taken away, she said she felt terribly because she knew this child would grow up without a father. And it was hard to celebrate the victories when you knew of the people uh, whose lives were lost because of it, which is something I really have not investigated emotionally before and, and was really powerful to learn about. I'm sorry to sidetrack, but so were these women, in addition to being puzzle solvers, did, were they also multilingual? They were asked if they were good at languages. And uh, one woman said, oh, yeah, I took two years of German in high school. And they're like, all right, good enough. You're working on the German interceptor. Okay. So, like, they weren't necessarily bilingual, but they definitely at least had a proficiency for it and an, an interest to learn. Okay. Thank you. And the same went for Japanese supply ships. As mentioned in the beginning, uh, they eventually were supplying the Navy with almost too much information on the location of these supply ships. The Navy didn't have the resources to track down and sink all of the ships that these codebreakers found. And while sinking these supply ships was vital to the war effort, these supply ships actually accounted for the majority of Japanese military losses in the war. So that was something else that weighed heavily on these codebreakers. And, you know, war is tragic and sad and ugly and violent. And uh, unfortunately, at least it seemed in World War II, it seemed to really be the only way to stop the Axis powers from doing what they were doing. So there's no getting around that. But what I do want to take away from this story is that there were over 10,000 women in this country working secretly to save lives and ultimately to help win the war. And they have lived in secret almost their entire lives. One of the women I mentioned earlier, Judy Parsons, was 99 when she was interviewed about this. Wow. So I just think it's an important uh, note to make and an important thing to do in sharing their stories. And that is a brief history of the women codebreakers in America, because they had a counterpart in Britain, of World War II. Wow, that is super neat. Thanks for sharing. 